The future of sports media began to take shape today, with ESPN making several major announcements, plus her team in Vegas reports from Radio Row and catches up with some of the biggest names in town, and MLB is launching its own Hard Knocks-style show. It's Thursday, February 8th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. One thing we are seeing this Super Bowl week is how the NFL's relationship to the media is changing. Joining me now to discuss is freelance writer Dan Kaplan. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. So we were just just talking offline about how what's often referred to as Radio Row is now Media Row. So give us the scene on Media Row. What is What does it look like and what does it look like in Vegas? Well, the way these things go on Super Bowl week, it's Monday, Tuesday, it's slow. Wednesday, more and more people start to show up. And Thursday, all the celebrities and the former athletes and the current athletes who are hawking brands and trying to sell product show up in media, what's called media row now and go from station to station, desk to desk, doing interviews where they're pitching products. It's, a, it's just a carnival of, of commerce. So, but what some of the changes in radio, well, I, some of the changes of Radio Row is it's called Media Row now. And the reason it's called Media Row, it's not just radio. It's influencers. It's podcasts. It's simulcast. Pat McAfee show has a big setup there. Um, a lot of national radio stations are, are based there. You, FanDuel and DraftKings, they have, a, they have a presence there with their own media. So it's, it's very different from the days when, the, when it first started when it was just radio stations. Mm-hmm. And does this one have a particular Vegas feel to it? Well, the first thing you see when you walk in the door to Kaepernick's convention room uh, is three slot machines branded with team and NFL logos. Uh, the, the NFL uh, cut a deal with some slot machines and uh, dealer, I would say, six months ago uh, to create branded NFL slot machines. And the three of them, I don't know if, actually, I don't know if they're u- u- user they're in use or they're just ornamental, but there are three of them and they're quite large when you walk in there. Mm-hmm. And as you're, you know, doing, you're doing your media work um, throughout the Super Bowl week, is the gambling a, a presence here or, um, or, or can you kind of, you know, be on the strip, but not really be part of that whole scene? It's impossible to ignore when you're in Vegas. Uh, just to get over to the media center, I you ha- I have to walk through the Luxor Casino and then take a p- p- pedestrian bridge, which goes through a mall, and then goes down into the Mandalay Bay Casino and walk through all of that. It's it's impossible to ignore. It, so many events are in the casinos. And th- this was, you know, I wrote about this earlier this week, that, you know, players and, and people associated with the NFL They've got no choice but to go into casinos for because that's where a lot of the events are. Yeah, yeah, you're you're bringing me flashbacks to when I was a kid. I forget how old I was, but I, I took a trip to California. We ended up flying out of Reno for whatever reason, and there were signs on all the slot machines. It's like if you're under eighteen, you have to be. I think six feet away from every slot machine. And there were times when I was like trying to take that seriously, but you got to like walk in a zigzag path to not be within six feet of a slot machine just in the airport. Um, and that was a long time ago. Um, 
uh, also, so for this, um, for the the Roger Goodell's annual press conference, we saw media restricted in a way that we hadn't before, uh, where not everyone, including some prominent national writers, were excluded from from the press conference. You're continuing to see that um, even throughout the week, even as we get beyond that that one event. Well, there's an there's a event at the end of the week, the commissioners. Uh party, the NFL commissioner's party, and it's turned into a very exclusive VIP-only invite. Uh, It started, ironically enough, as a media party that was started by Pete Rozelle at the first Super Bowl. It grew into this very large festival. I mean, thousands of people actually would attend. They they culled the list in 2012 at the Indianapolis Super Bowl, making it a much more intimate VIP-only invite. But media could get their tickets. If media knew somebody who had an extra pass, they would give that pass to the media member. I, I went to many NFL commissioners party and it was a great opportunity to socialize with owners and executives and, and network heads and people like that. So, and the ticket was always this big, big, bulky, hard, glossy embossed ticket, a, phys- a physical ticket. Well, this year when I went to get my pass from some of my sources, I found out tickets have gone digital this year. And part of the reason, according to them, is they want to exclude the media from this party. They want to keep the media out. Now, I'm sure there are other reasons everything's gone digital. It's hard to, these tickets, hard to go pick up tickets. Who's got the tickets? Now it's just digital. But now you can't, now my sources can't pass on the ticket to me because the NFL will know they did it because it's digital. So I'm sure some media members might get into this party, but uh, it's going to be a lot fewer than in past years. Yeah, and this feels like they're trying to prevent a thing that hasn't happened yet. I could see if like there was some big scandal that came out of last year that then they cracked down. This feels more uh, preemptive. Very preemptive, and you know there was an unspoken rule when you went to a party like that that it was largely off the record. You you would if you were talking to someone, I mean, they might give you an idea for a story, but it was largely about socializing, getting to know people, you know, in a, in a informal, relaxed setting. So I don't recall ever a, a, a major story being broken out of the commissioner's party. But, you know, this is the NFL. They, they, I'm, sh- I'm sure somebody complained to somebody that why are there media at this exclusive party? Yeah, yeah, very interesting. It sort of speaks to, you know, just a, a shifting relationship, I would say, with from, you know, as the media expands. And, you know, it, it, as you said, when you're talking about Media Row, you know, it's not just you know, the 10 people you can think of. It's it's all sorts of influencers, celebrities, and, you know, everyone can have a channel now. Um, so I wonder if that kind of speaks to um, that that fragmenting, you know, the media creates a fragmenting relationship with the league because it's, it's well, not really a contained I, number of people. Well, I think it suggests how much the NFL wants to keep these kinds of events like the commissioner's party off limits to the media. They, they, they want to keep the media at arm's length. And, the, you know, lack of media access, whether it's in the locker room or something like this, whether it was meet, uh, the commissioner's press conference, this is a continuing theme we see with the NFL. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very interesting stuff. Dan Kaplan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Dan has been writing our morning newsletter every day this week, taking us inside the circus that is Super Bowl week. I highly recommend people check those out and subscribe to the Front Office Sports newsletter.
The Boston Red Sox may have disappointed some fans with their offseason signings, but they will have some new faces in the locker room, namely a Netflix crew. The streaming giant is going to try and recreate the success it had with Drive to Survive, Full Swing, and other sports docuseries with a series that chronicles the 2024 Red Sox season. MLB reversed its viewership slide last year with views up 7% across U.S. regional sports networks in the 2023 regular season, but the World Series average of 9.1 million viewers was the lowest on record. The Red Sox are unlikely to help on that front this year. Fangraphs just released its playoff odds, which gave Boston a 26% chance of making the playoffs and a 1% chance of winning the World Series. The Netflix show does not have a name yet, but seeing as people are calling this MLB's Hard Knocks after the NFL-focused HBO series and it's about the Red Sox, I will be referring to it as Hard Socks. The NFL put a playoff game exclusively on a streaming service for the first time this year, with the wildcard tilt between the Dolphins and Chiefs that was only on Peacock. Peacock reportedly paid $110 million for that privilege. That raised the question of how far the league would be willing to go on that front. Could the Super Bowl one day be a streaming-only product or even a pay-per-view cash grab? Roger Goodell was asked on Monday if the Super Bowl could ever go streaming-only, and he replied, not in my time. For now, that means not for the next three Super Bowls after this one. The commissioner's contract runs through March 2027. As for a pay-per-view Super Bowl, that's unlikely to happen before 2033, when the league's current media deals expire. Front Office Sports commissioned a Harris poll and found that 51% of NFL fans would be more likely than not to pay to watch the Super Bowl, but only 28% would be very likely to do it. One in 10 U.S. adults who aren't NFL fans would at least think about it. The price would matter. Most people who are willing to pay wouldn't want to go above $15, and once you bump it up to $35 to $65, you lose 71% of fans. Perhaps an even bigger issue is that 68% of fans would just try to dodge the paywall by going to a friend's place or finding an unofficial stream. Add that all together, and it appears far better for the NFL to just stick with a program of broadcasting the most popular annual event in America for free. Up next, we have some clips from Phil Simms, Tony Robo, and Jim Nance live from Radio Row, and we dive into Disney's earnings and how it's plotting the future of ESPN with our own Eric Fisher. That's all coming up next. Earlier, we heard from Dan Kaplan about the history of Radio Row and how it grew into the spectacle that it is today. Our own reporter, AJ Perez, was able to speak with a few big names at the event, including CBS football analyst Phil Simms. You heard before the break from our Harris Poll data that many fans are against paying for the Super Bowl, and Simms is one of them. I'll, you know, listen, the NFL does what any business does. They, they try to make money and accomplish. Nothing wrong with that. But as a fan, I, uh, the fan part in me goes, I do feel bad or sad really for people who want to watch those games but can't afford to get the streaming content mm -hmm. so that's what i think of i think every time i see the games on i just know a lot of even some of my friends they just go we're not going to do it we're not going to buy more stuff and i i go i understand so i hope it doesn't get completely out of hand but i know it's going to keep going that way sims wasn't the only former nfl quarterback turned broadcaster aj spoke with here's what tony romo had to say about the big game coming to vegas it just, yeah it just shows you the evolution of the sport and just society and everything it's just a great thing that everything is here now i love it i think it's awesome and we're fortunate enough to be doing the first game in vegas and i think that's a great thing and i'm excited to do the game here and last but not least, a legend in his own right. You've heard him call the Super Bowl, March Madness, the Masters, and much more. Here's Jim Nance on an idol he still looks up to today. First off, I was Brent's understudy in a lot of different roles at CBS, and I succeeded him on college basketball with Billy Packer and 
I went to the Butler cabin after Brent, and I was 26 years old, and I was sitting in his chair on the set on Saturdays, hosting our Prudential College Ball scoreboard show. This is 85. He's hosting the NFL Today on Sunday. So I was in awe of him, and honestly, I still am. And it, it was good for me to start my week. It was really fortunate for me to start my week. I called him and said this would mean a lot to me if, if I came to Vegas and I had a chance to break bread with you. So we did last night at Michael's. We'll have more on Musburger on tomorrow's show. Disney's earnings came out on Wednesday. The Mouse also announced that ESPN would be offered as a standalone streaming product in the second half of next year. And separately, ESPN, Fox, and Warner Bros. Discovery will be launching a sports-focused streaming service this year. And Nick Saban is joining the staff of College Game Day. Joining me now to make sense of it all is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So, a lot going on. Let's just start with Disney's earnings. How's the company doing these days? Good. They they feel like they've really kind of turned a corner. Uh, writ large, uh, probably the big headline is they there was a uh, almost ninety percent reduction in the losses from their overall direct to consumer operations, and they think they're going to have that part of the business profitable by the end of this fiscal twenty twenty four. And even though companies got linear networks and theme parks and they do a bunch of things and movie and TV production and so on and so forth. The direct to consumer piece of this was really the tip of the spear and where they were taking the company to sort of have that be on a much stronger trajectory for profitability. It's a big deal for the company. ESPN itself had a very profitable quarter. Um, there was a slight retreat in the uh, subscribers for ESPN Plus, but uh, ESPN itself is getting more profitable. And, uh, you know, overall things are looking up uh, within the Disney operation. Yeah, it's sort of a confusing company to cover because they do so many different things. They run right. a giant theme park business. They have a lot of children's programming. They have a lot of sports programming. Uh, but that streaming piece is big. I mean, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus and Hulu are considered, you know, a, a major streaming bundle among the streaming bundles. And yet it hasn't been profitable, but it sounds like they're they're getting there. They're getting there in a big way. And again, we should have a very different conversation on that in about two to three quarters. Yeah. And in about two to three seconds, we also have some streaming news um, uh, to discuss. Uh, so, yeah, two services that we got word of this week. Um, so let's start with the joint venture between ESPN, Fox, and Warner Bros. Discovery. It's going to be sports-focused, but maybe not entirely sports. Uh, what do we know about this uh, about this joint venture? Yeah, this is really breaking some new ground that you've got three companies that really are at usually competitive loggerheads all the time in terms of battling for sports rights and battling for eyeballs among fans and so forth. They've come together and pooled their sports assets together and in what they are contemplating is really doesn't exist elsewhere in the market that you're going to pull together sports content from 14 linear networks, including the main ESPN and Fox broadcast, along with ESPN+. Plus in this new service. Um, nothing like it out there on the market. Uh, expecting to debut this fall. We don't have a name or a price point yet. But the real target around this are core nevers that the three companies involved feel like there is a big, big audience, literally in the tens of millions, uh, that do not subscribe to any traditional cable television package, have no intention to ever do so, and feel like they could be reached here. And so where this is probably going to slot in 
is somewhere around $40 to $50 a month, which would be more than a standalone streaming service by a good measure, but less than something like YouTube TV or another sort of uh, digital MVPD service. Yeah, it's it's an interesting move. And I feel like, you know, if you are in a world with no Amazon Prime Video, no Apple TV, no Netflix, you'd see these companies just continuing to compete with each other, most likely. I mean, there might be some consolidation. But because you've got this huge threat to the the whole, you know, certainly the cable business model, but also the broadcast media business model, um, it makes sense for the legacy partners to team up. Yeah, the the world is changing uh, really by the day, by the week. And, you know, recently we've seen a lot of big news among those dedicated players that Netflix doing the big deal with WWE. Um, you know, we're just hours away from as we're taping this had an announcement that Netflix doing more documentary programming this time with Major League Baseball. Amazon continuing to burnish out its sports portfolio. It's a whole new world out there. And so I think your, your fundamental point is really spot on that uh, the legacy players uh, can't continue on business as usual. And ESPN, confusingly to me, announced not one but two streaming services this week. So in addition to the one we just mentioned, ESPN, it's, it sounds like it's basically going to be ESPN as a streaming service. Uh, so more than ESPN Plus is coming on the second half of next year. What do we know about this one? So this is the thing that we've been talking about literally for years and has been sort of referred to every single quarter at every single earnings release, the full direct-to-consumer version of ESPN above and beyond what we currently get with ESPN Plus, which is some of what um, ESPN has and some lesser content, but not everything that the full flagship ESPN has. What we're talking about here is indeed a full digital flagship version of ESPN. And um, we now have a target date on that for the fall of 2025. So a year after this other joint venture service comes out. But again, this is this is the thing that we've been talking about for like five years now actively. And so that's a thing that's uh, happening. Um, this is going to have more bells and whistles, though, than this other thing that we're talking about with Warner Brothers Discovery and Fox. The full standalone version of ESPN, it's going to have integration with ESPN Bet, interactive statistics, maybe a merchandising component of some forth. Um, and what Bob Iger, the Disney CEO, is saying is that this is going to be like unlike anything else uh, that's out there on the market. So it there's going to be some different options for fans out there, but your core comment is, uh, I think, on point there as well, that it is going to be a little bit confusing that you can get everything that ESPN has in this other service, but if you want like the extra bells and whistles, you do the standalone thing, how that's going to match up relative to cost, we don't know yet. Um, it's a confusing time out there if you're a fan and a consumer making sense of it all. And we're doing our best here, and I'm explaining what we know. But uh, you know, th the choice that's going to be out there, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of options out there, and what the right answer is, it, it could be a little difficult to figure out. Yeah, I mean, um, and the the standalone ESPN service. I mean, Jimmy Pitaro has been first. He was like, it's probably going to happen, then it is going to happen, and is going to happen. I think happens at least sometime last year, if not earlier. Uh, so it's finally happening. But yeah, it, I, I mean, maybe this will all make sense once they're all out there. But it to me, it feels like ESPN is competing with itself, and maybe they're just okay with that. Maybe they just want to have you know, want to see what sticks. But and do you have any better sense of the overall strategy here? Well, the, the part of it is, again, that the, these 
this, as I said before, the streaming operations are kind of the tip of the spear for ESPN and sports are kind of the tip of the spear of the streaming operations, given how important sports are in the overall media landscape. So what ESPN does in this digital realm is of huge importance to Disney overall as a corporation. And it's of huge importance to the industry, given the size and stature of ESPN. And so... I get where you're going with your comment here, but they're sort of kind of trying to remake the what their business is going to look like when, again, the, as we've been saying, the business is changing by the day, by the week. And you know, traditional cable customers continue to hemorrhage off. Uh, everybody's trying, every consumer, as I said before, trying to make sense of what their best option is for their own budget and their own entertainment wants and needs. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a very blurred time right now, and so uh, you know, it, so even ESPN themselves is kind of I don't want to say making it up as they go along, but they're they're chasing a moving target. I think that's fair to say. And just before we go, ESPN added another staff member this week. Uh, Nick Saban, legendary college coach, will be joining College Game Day. Uh, just quick reactions on that one. Yeah, this was the expected outcome when the announcement that he was leaving the Alabama job after all these years. Uh, this was, again, the anticipated outcome. Uh, you know, really could have gone anywhere he would have wanted, but going to college game day and that established power in the college football media landscape, uh, this is going to make a strong, very strong property even stronger. Absolutely. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. That's it for today. It's been a wild week here, and if you've been enjoying it and appreciating the work we do, drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to tune in. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.